This is Cambridge Judge Business School's online knowledge centre, with expert commentary, analysis, and insights into the issues of the day. I became sometimes a person referred to as the Iron Lady, um, to to follow your famous Iron Lady here in Britain, um, and so I think in a way. The fact it's I think what was more important in my case is that I came with a different perspective, but I navigated the waters enough to basically I think create a sense that I was doing this for the right reasons. So I think if in Ethiopia I feel very blessed that people feel that they can trust me. That was Eleni Gabriel Medine, founder and chief executive officer of the Ethiopia Commodity Exchange (ECX). Dr. Gabriel Medine is an internationally recognised thought leader on agricultural marketing in Africa and global development. In her presentation, "Daring to Dream: From an Idea to a Billion-Dollar Market," Dr. Gabriel Medine told the story and outlined the lessons learned from the creation of the ECX in 2008 to its 1.2 billion-dollar turnover four years later. The areas she covered ranged from the power of ideas, the importance of sharing vision, of careful design, and of flexible implementations. Afterwards, she explained the need for the ECX. There were no standard grades. There were no uh, payment systems uh, or delivery systems that were reliable. So, uh, we basically tried to create a system that would, or a trading mechanism that would bring buyers and sellers together uh, in as reliable a way and as an orderly way as possible,、uh, and efficiently coordinating them. So, in terms of Actually, implementing that idea. What's challenging is that people are used to the traditional chaotic system that they've been working with for generations. So even though it's a problem that they face, that you're tr- you know you create something to to help them,、um, there's a, quite a fair amount of resistance to anything that's change,、uh, which is human nature. So I would say, you know. Beyond the challenge of of actually implementing, you know, the clearinghouse and the central depository and the warehouse receipts and all of those things that are the building blocks of what we've done on a physical level, I think the mentality, the the, the culture around transparency and 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 doing things in a modern way was probably the biggest challenge. What we're basically talking about here is is, is small farmers. Yes, yes, ninety five percent of Ethiopia's agriculture is produced. On less than one hectare plots, so you know we have a tremendous amount of disaggregated product、uh, that then comes to small rural markets where、uh, you know very informal traders sort of pick it up from the farmers and then take it to the next level, which is the regional markets where you have wholesalers and they kind of bulk it up and bring it to this capital city where it's taken up by. Either consumers, you know, retailers or uh, industrial uh, actors. So to kind of streamline all that really was a big challenge. You started this in two thousand and eight, and that that was we know today probably the worst possible time for to start any sort of a business, let alone a, an exchange like this. On what basis did you do it? On on the on the basis that that maybe well the world is in recession. If we fail, it's not going to matter. Um, or, or was it on the basis that we can't fail? 
Mm, I would probably say, if, if anything, the latter. But, you know, we, we didn't know there was going to be a crisis. I mean, we started uh, the project to establish the exchange in 2006, late 2006. And we worked around the clock for 18 months to basically establish all the pieces and put together, you know, the IT infrastructure, the, the, the software, train up the actors, put, you know, build operations, basically. So it was almost just you know, a, a very odd and, I guess, in some sense, terrible coincidence that precisely when, you know, having worked around the clock for 18 months, precisely when we rang the opening bell of the exchange in April 2008 is when all hell broke loose on the international commodity markets. So we could hardly stop and say, well, you know, now that there's a commodity crisis, we'll just wait till next season or something. And we just plowed ahead um, and hope for the best. Uh, and it was a bit rough because perception at that time was that an exchange was the worst thing to do um, and that exchanges were the problem, not the solution. And here we'd spent, you know, all these, all this time building the solution that we thought we felt was appropriate. But at the same time, I would say that our approach by the fact that it was a very gradualist model, we weren't jumping into, you know, derivatives trading uh, with all sorts of, you know, very, very esoteric products. You had a clear vision. Do you think, do you feel now that you've actually achieved that vision or are you just starting to achieve it? Our foremost interest was to eliminate or at least, you know, uh, reduce us to the extent possible uh, counterparty risk or the, the risk of, of transactions not being honoured or contracts not being enforced. So that's one part of what we've done, and I think that we definitely have achieved, that people can reliably trade in this market. But there's a second layer of risk that we haven't yet tackled, which is price risk. And that does require a futures market mechanism where you can you know, hedge against future price movements by taking a futures position to, to offset your, your spot market position. So we're this year starting to uh, implement a, a pilot for futures trading, uh, and when we uh, finalise that, then I think the job is done. I got the impression that the bricks and mortar are built around what you describe as flexibility and careful design. Yes, absolutely. The careful design precedes everything else. So really, really thinking hard about, you know, in this context, what will work. Not just on the, in the context of the infrastructure, but in the context of the people, their, their capacity, their, you know, their... Uh, what type of actors they are, are they large commercials, are they people that can sit at a desk and trade, or are they people that are, you know, trading off truck, and if you're, if you're building a system for people trading off truck, then you, you've got to tailor it in a completely different way, uh, and so to have that kind of, I think, capability within our team to think through what was the right model was not just something we sat at a desk and came up with, it was enormous amount of consultation. So the, the social engagement to pull this off was considerable. So this was by no means a parachuted in, you know, solution from Washington or London or wherever, uh, but really a continuous sort of consultation, dialogue uh, with every, every side of the market, you know, from farmers all the way to the very, you know, uh, big industrial actors and for that matter with the government. Um, and then once you start, you realize that a thousand things go wrong. You mentioned, you used one word in that sentence or in that explanation, and it was people. 
Yes. This is nothing without people. Yes. Getting the trust of people. Absolutely. And that's got to have been the biggest task for you, hasn't it? Absolutely. How do you win over the sesame seed producers in, in northwestern Ethiopia who are used, as you said, walking around with Kalashnikovs and AK-47s on their backs? Not easy. Well, first of all, you need, you need, you need allies. So you can't do it all. So I think it would be wrong to think that somebody can come in with a great idea, all the best intentions, and you know talk to some key people and be done with it. That's just not how it would work. So we had to sort of conscript, let's say, local officials. Uh, we had to get higher, gov- you know, federal level government officials to talk to to the, the the regional or local level officials to get them to start talking to different interest groups. So there was, a, you know, there was a mass mobilization that had to go on behind all of this. So it's just really not as simple as just walking in with a good business idea. Uh, it's, it's, I've learned a tremendous amount about, um, you know, social engagement, uh, who to talk to. For example, uh, just at a very simple level, you have to find... And, I, and I, by the way, I think this is the same when you bring in, for example, new seed technology to farmers. You don't just show up with the seed and say, hey, guys, this is good stuff, plant it, and you'll see you know, five times the yield you have. What you do is you go find the opinion makers in that community. You have to understand how the community works. Which trader is it that is listened to? Because that's the person you start with. And you start explaining this idea to them, and then you get like, you know, their co-op to, to like the idea, and then you get somebody out of that group to, to try it out, and then you use them as the ambassadors for the idea. So all of that is an enormous amount of effort that you don't really learn about in school, you know, in business school, uh, you know, or you, that, that's not a skill that we all come equipped with. Final question, really, and it is at, the, at a personal level, and the societal level, Ethiopian society, which I don't know, but you obviously do, mm-hmm. was there an issue with you being a woman driving this through? Was there a natural resistance by, I guess, a male-dominated society? Ethiopia is definitely a very male-dominated society. So I think what played in my favour was that I did not grow up in Ethiopia. I spent 30 years of my life abroad before returning to Ethiopia. So in some sense, I was an insider-outsider. So, of course, I spoke the language, and I obviously cared enough to, to come back and do all this. So I think, but at the same time, I was outspoken. I was assertive. Uh, you know, I did have strong positions, and I became sometimes a person referred to as the Iron Lady, um, to to follow your famous Iron Lady here in Britain. Um, and... So I think in a way, the fact it's, I think what was more important in my case is that I came with a different perspective, but I navigated the waters enough to basically, I think, create a sense that I was doing this for the right reasons. So I think if in Ethiopia, I feel very blessed that people feel that they can trust me, that they can, that they, they, you know, there's numerous sort of media and things that have come out sort of that, that have tried to explore who I am because at the end of the day it's always not just about the people on that side but also who we are the the people trying to implement this this solution so you know there's been an enormous amount of curiosity where did she grow up where did she come from who is she why you know why is she doing this and people would ask me all the time why didn't you just stay in the US you, you I'm sure you had a good life and I'd say yes but I I want you know to do this for this country because it's my country Eleni Gabri-Medin, thank you. Thank you.
This programme was produced by the Cambridge Judge Business School as part of its online broadcast series. Thank you.